The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By Xylem, let's solve water. By Black & Veatch, building a world of difference. By the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. By CanDo, providing actionable insights from utility wastewater data to improve environmental and public health. By Woodard & Curran, high-quality consulting engineering, science, and operations services, and by Intera, innovation and stewardship for a sustainable tomorrow. This is Session 201. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the very first Water Values Podcast episode. This is the 201st after all, but this is the first one that has a U.S. Army approved interview. Uh, Yes, today we're talking about water issues on military bases and Cameron Craig who was a civilian working on water issues at a military installation, joins us. Cameron has since moved on uh, to the private sector uh, to, and is employed by a military contractor. But Cameron does a great job letting us know how the military approaches water issues from a high level, as well as uh, providing a fascinating discussion on how the U.S. Army used wastewater epidemiology to monitor, monitor COVID-19 outbreaks uh, at the military base where Cameron worked. And uh, when I say Cameron moved over to the to the private sector, I should qualify that saying Cameron was never uh, enlisted. He was always a uh, civilian employee of the military. Um, Cameron's interview uh, is a fitting one, I believe, because uh, it's the first release in November, and obviously during the window this will be out, uh, Veterans Day occurs. And so I thought it would be uh, when I when I got the opportunity to speak with Cameron, I thought this would be the perfect interview to release for the first interview in November. So uh, I think it's I think it's perfect. You're going to enjoy Cameron's discussion very much. We've also got a Bluefield on tap segment coming up. But before we get to the interview, let's uh, start off like we always do with a hearty thank you to our sponsors, Xylem, Black and Veatch, the American Waterworks Association, can do Woodard and Curran and Intera. And I'd like for each of you to do me a favor, if you would, please, if you work for or with any of these sponsors, please, please, please thank your boss, thank your contact to that sponsor firm, and let them know you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. Just that simple note of thanks or reaching out goes a long way. It really does. And as long as you're letting sponsors know that you appreciate their support of water industry education and thought leadership, why not leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, or whatever other podcast directory you're accessing the podcast on? It would be greatly appreciated and, of course, will help others find out about the podcast. Before we head on to the interview with Cameron, let's get to our Bluefield on Tap segment now with Bluefield Research's Reese Tisdale. Take it away, guys. Well, Reese, welcome back for another Bluefield on Tap. Great to have you with us. How you been? I'm pretty good, Dave. I uh, I guess my question for you is, what episode are you on these days? Are you you've hit the 200 mark? We, yeah, 200 just came out. Uh, that was with James Eklund. And now I think this episode's going to be 201. So we're starting a new century. 
Nice. Well, <laughs> congrats. Thank for the, you. For, for someone who's only, I don't, I think it, we've hit like 40 for <laughs> us, if not even knowing what a slog it is, uh, the, you know, kudos to you. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I, I don't even remember episode 40 if that, uh, if that gives you anything to, to, it's been that long ago. Let's get going on uh, today's program or today's BOT. What is uh, on your mind? What has caught your eye in the water industry this month? Before we got going, you were asking me how things are, and I said it's a little crazy. There's a lot of deal flow happening, but I've got one that we may have talked about in the past, or at least one company I'm pretty excited about. And going through some Q3 uh, earnings reports and calls, it looks like Nextera, the uh, Nextera Energy, who owns uh, Florida Power and Light in Florida, but also Nextera Energy Resources, they've acquired, they've announced about $45 million of acquisitions in Texas around Houston. So looking at water utility assets, but also reuse and reclamation facility. So it looks like Nextera is in the game, finally, after a couple failed deals. Yeah, well, they are uh, they're an early mover, right? Because they are the... They were an early adopter of renewable technology, renewable energy, and now they're one of the 800-pound gorillas. And so, what do you think? What do you think Nextera's venture into the water sector means for the, the the space? So this, I mean, I think you raise a good point. And you know, and from a former life, I I used to do a fair amount of work on Nextera's renewable energy development, solar and wind, um, as well. And so, I look at this with them being a front runner. I mean, they are market leader. I think they're, they're smart in what they do. And so one, I think the basics are they're looking at water. Um, they understand critical infrastructure, asset management. They understand utility commissions. They have a broader footprint than just in the state of Florida, Florida power and light. They're a, you know, as you said, you know, they're a, you know, leading, they're one of the largest wind and solar developers in the world. But the other thing I think that is interesting, and I'm just trying to think, you know, 5, 10, 15 years down the road, is they're now starting to pilot hydrogen uh, for for storage and other maybe even transportation in, say, to Florida as well. So, obviously, green hydrogen uses a lot of water. Uh, it also uses renewable power. So, there might be a way to, to marry those two uh, things as as the market develops for hydrogen overall. So I think that's really interesting. And I think, you know, they also see uh, separately, they have a services business also that focus on energy usage. And they have worked with municipalities in the past trying to figure out ways to reduce energy consumption, uh, particularly the for water management uh, across uh, cities. So are we getting a little, are we seeing a little more convergence? Is this just another example of, of the convergence that I think we've liked to talk about over time? Oh no, you know it. I'm excited <laughs> about it. I'm that you know you you're speaking my language. So this you know for me, I was running the numbers yesterday. I was going through some financials. I was working with an analyst, and you know we do you can the convergence it's it's in play. So they would be the what fifth large large scale. Um, critical critical infrastructure player to get into water in one way or another. So the other examples would be um, so Eversource acquired Aquarian. Uh, we've got NW Natural out of the Pacific Northwest, a gas service provider. They're now into water. 
We've got Algonquin, who owns Liberty Utilities, has a growing footprint. We'll see what happens in New York as well. They're waiting on an American water deal there. Um, and then you've got Aqua um, and the People's People's Gas deal. So they've come together just in the opposite direction. And now we've got uh, Nextera. Nextera, I would say, is back to your point, is the one company that could potentially shake things up. Um, they've got the... They've got the metal, as uh, as I would say, to uh, to move in the business in, in a couple different directions. Yeah. Uh, so you initially said there's a ton of deal flow going on. What do you have any specifics on that? Yeah. So I mean, the other one, I woke up this morning and saw that American Water has also sold off its uh, home services business. So they acquired Pivotal, I think, two maybe three years ago, which home services, you know, uh, warranties or basically coverage for uh, home uh, home water applications. And they bought Pivotal for about $365 million, and they just sold it for $1.2 billion. Wow. Um, so they sold it to Apex. I think there were other things in play there. But, you know, this is part of Americans' uh, market-based business, where it's not their regulated business. They've stated that they want to focus more on their regulated activities. But, Within that five to ten percent share of their business, American is always sort of tinkering. It seems, and maybe they saw an opportunity trying to figure out exactly what it means. Whether they're seeing some writing on the wall about you know what's happening with housing starts and that in that part of the sector uh, in that sector overall, or is there something else? Maybe they just got too good a deal to pass up. Yeah, and maybe they just wanted more cash to make more acquisitions because, as you indicated, the deal flow is is there, right? So yeah, I mean, in private equity in particular. So I mean, to that point, uh, New Mountain Capital, who acquired Inframark uh, earlier in the year at the end of last year, just picked up ESG operations out of Georgia. So they're combining Inframark and ESG operations, which is mainly covering O and M for water utilities, but also now beyond into gas and other uh, other sectors. Inframark is is bigger, uh, backed by New Mountain's uh, New Mountain funds. Well, Reese, always good information from you. Thanks so much for coming on. Great to uh, chat again, and I will talk to you soon. Absolutely, and congrats on two hundred. And uh, <laughs> I, look, I look forward to uh, two hundred two or two hundred three, whichever one I'm on. Okay, cool. All right, thanks, Reese. Yeah. As always, great information from Bluefield Research uh, and Reese Tisdale. Now it's time to get on to our feature guest, Cameron Craig, who's going to talk to us about water use on military installations. And again, this is U.S. Army approved. So here we go. Let's get that water flowing. Well, Cameron, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. Great to have you on. How are you doing today? Doing great, Dave. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm very excited to, to speak with you today. Uh, as as our normal kind of open what is, uh, what's your background, Cameron, and how'd you get interested in water? Um, so my background is uh, I've got a master's degree in aquatic biology from the University of Alabama. Um, and I've been working in water for, uh, directly in water for about seven years. Um, and so how did I get interested in water? I've kind of always been interested in water. Uh, I grew up in the, the mountains and streams of North Alabama, playing around, at, you know, the springs there. Um, and transitioned into a swimming career. Uh, so I've been a swimmer and surfer pretty much my whole life. Uh, so my, I like to say that my, um, 
my experience with water is much more interactive than than most people are uh, most people are used to. It's not a it's not a consumptive experience, which most people kind of tend to think of their uh, their relationship with water as right. Like you drink it or you just use it when you when you need it. I have a much more interactive uh, background with water. Yeah. In North Alabama, did you ever go hiking in the Sipsi or backpacking in the Sipsi wilderness? Uh, yeah, actually. So the Sipsi wilderness, um, is, I think it's in Tuscaloosa, right? I used to hunt in the Sipsi wilderness. Extremely familiar with Sipsi. Okay. Yeah. So I, I just, during law school, I went on a backpacking trip through Sipsi and it was, uh, we, we, it was in January and we got, we got a heavy dose of rain. So we experienced that North Alabama <laughs> water. Yeah. Um, so where, where is your interest in water and your, uh, your, your, what, what are you doing with that interest in water these days? Uh, so now I'm, uh, I've, you know, in the past several years, I've been working for the, uh, for the army, uh, focusing on, uh, kind of pu- the public health side of water, uh, as well as kind of broader water strategy, uh, for the U S army medical command. Yeah. So t- tell me, most people, when they think of the army, they think of, you know, guns, tanks and that kind of thing. Why is water an issue for the army? Yeah. I mean, that, that's a great question. And you're right. I think most people do absolutely just think of the kind of the big, cool machines or the war fighting part of the army. Um, but what a lot of people don't recognize, and honestly, what I didn't recognize before I took the job was that water and, you know, like to sustain a fighting force, you have to have, you know, the, the elements to sustain human life. So you've got to have water, you've got to have food, you've got to have, uh, you know, services that are going to be able to, to keep your soldiers healthy, both while they're at home on their installations and while they're, you know, out fighting the bad guys. So, um, you know, but fighting wars and uh, keeping soldiers healthy is not just about, uh, you know, supplying guns and tanks and bullets. You've also got to make sure that those people have, you know, good running water, uh, you know, clean, uh, good, clean running water. Um food that they need and that sort of thing to, to make, to ensure that the health of the force. Yeah. So uh, I'm thinking about this. T- tell me about what life on a typical army base from a water perspective. Uh, so it's honestly, it's pretty similar to uh, what I would assume that life on, you know, life in a, in a small city is like uh, the, you know, our all army bases are a little bit different. There's really, really big ones and also really, really small ones. So uh, depending on where you are and, and what your utility setup is like, there may actually be water production there on the installation, or you might buy from it from a utility off the installation, you know, in an, an adjacent city or municipality. Um, so it's, it's very collaborative in my experience. Um, and I kind of like to note that uh, everything I'm saying today is based on just my experience. This is not me speaking for the army. Uh, this is not me speaking for my, my, any other employer that I may have. Uh, this is just, you know, me, Cameron Craig. Uh, yeah. So, the experience uh, on a installation uh, from a water perspective is definitely um, collaborative because you've got, in addition to just your regular, you know, water utility people, you also have people that are very concerned about, um, you know, the safety and the health of the force, right? The people that live there, because as opposed to where you would normally in a small town have, um, you know, threats from, you know, line breaks and things like that. Uh, you add on to that, you have those, but you add on to that, the threat of an actual intentional terrorist attack or, you know, like enemy attack. Uh, so there's people that are focused specifically on that as well. So it's a very, and, and we collaborate with them closely to make sure that, uh, all of our assets, um, and all of our people and, and the systems are secured 
and are, are providing clean, safe water that's that's going to be resilient into the future. Yeah, so uh, th- that's a great point. You know, uh, I, I think we ought to set a baseline too. When 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 you have worked with the army, it's been as a civilian, right? You, 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 you yes. Were, okay. Right. Uh, yeah. So I've I've actually never been, uh, you know, enlisted or uh, an officer in the in the military. And so th- I think that that just kind of feeds into your uh, your uh, description of of water. Uh, within the service as kind of a collaborative approach because they're relying on civilians to to help with this mission. Right. Absolutely. There are uh, the majority, I would say, of of military water like processes are done by civilians, either civilians that are directly employed by the army or contractors that uh, that run the utility plants. So it's very similar to some to a kind of a municipal plant where you have um kind of a consolidated large utility, you know, American water or something like that, um, that runs, uh, your utility for you. There's also contractors on military bases that do that, uh, as well. Okay. Uh, so when we're talking about water, you've mentioned public health, uh, as very important. Can you talk about how water's impact in terms of, uh, these military installations from an, from a, a health or medical perspective? Uh, yeah, sure. So I actually worked in the, the public health department at Fort Riley, Kansas. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic department. I uh, love those guys. And I think it's a uh, uh, it's a really important function that public health departments and preventive med uh, departments carry out on most installations. Uh, they're associated with the hospital or the clinic on the installation. And they have kind of an outside role uh, coming in to do quality assurance and quality control uh, to make sure that the water that's actually being provided is essentially up to snuff, right? That it, that it is clean, that it doesn't have any um, uh, bacterial contamination, that the pH and the chlorine are correct. Um, essentially as kind of a, a third party reviewer uh, to what the water utility is doing. So that relationship may sound like uh, it's a bit, you know, uh, going behind the water utilities back and checking, uh, but what it ends up being is very collaborative. So, uh, the water utility is generally very open and saying, Hey, we're doing the best that we can. Uh, and we are providing this water in good faith and we want to know if there's something weird. So if you find something, please let us know. And so we had a great relationship and I think that relationship, um, I hope that relationship extends to other installations as well. Um, to say, to, to be able to work together. Uh, so the people that are concerned about public health, be they, you know, water plant operators or people that actually work for the health department uh, can get together and ensure that the best quality water is de- delivered to the community. Right. And so uh, going hand in hand with, with the drinking water side is the wastewater side. Can you talk about wastewater epidemiology specifically? You know, we've just, we're, we're still kind of in the throes of the, the, the COVID-19 pandemic. And I have to imagine that was pretty high on the radar for the military. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, right. So you've got, uh, there's a, a much more intimate knowledge of the community health on, uh, military installations, right? Because all the people that live there work for the, work for the military and they're going to get their medical care also from the military. So, uh, there's a better, a better understanding of, of how COVID and any pandemic is going to affect that community and, and the impact that's having. We were actually able, uh, on Fort Riley to, to implement, uh, a wastewater based epidemiology project where we, we, we were able to track uh, the COVID dynamics as they move through our population and actually build predictive models 
to be able to tell leaders, uh, you know, whether they're uh, leaders at a small uh, kind of barracks level, like a small group of barracks where you may have a couple of hundred soldiers or the entire installation level where you're talking about, you know, 20,000 people. Um, we were actually able, able to provide those leaders with, uh, with a model and data to say, hey, you've got, uh, you know, a 60% chance in the next uh, so many days of having a spike in COVID cases based on this wastewater data that we're seeing. Uh, so it was very, very informative and it, and it provided those leaders the ability to kind of make decisions for the force um, and, and make decisions for the protection of the force that was, uh, that I, I think was essential. Yeah. Uh, that, that sounds very interesting in terms of um, uh, being, being able to use those predictive analytics. I mean, what, uh, how quickly were you able to get that, that set up? You know, I mean, was it was I'm just curious about about how fast that model was able to come together. Yeah. So uh, the we had a fantastic team. Uh, and again, this is uh, me speaking from my uh, my personal experience here. Um, we had a great utility that was very open and collaborative um, that was willing to help us. We we asked them to go take samples at multiple points around the installation. They said, absolutely. Tell us what we can do. Um, we had uh, the University of Kansas that was just down the road that uh, is a leader in our region in wastewater analysis. And so Dr. Belinda Sturm's lab at the University of Kansas uh, took our um, took our samples and was able to analyze them and turn them around extremely quickly to get them back to us uh, within within three days of of, uh, of those samples being taken. Uh, we we had data. And so the, the model took a while to build, took, took a couple of months to build. Uh, we were taking you know, multiple samples a week. So we, we were able to build uh, a good predictive model within you know, a couple of months. But the, from the inception of the project all the way through till completion, it took about, I'd say, probably uh, six months before mm -hmm. we had, like from when, when, I, when we proposed the project to you know, funding, getting all the equipment, getting everybody trained up. And then uh, actually sending sending bottles to the lab, and then getting that data back, and you being able to build that model is about six months. Yeah, it, it, would this model that you've built? Would, I mean, it, it would have greater application beyond just COVID nineteen, right? You, you, I assume you could test for other things and and use the predictive analytics to help you know maintain the health of the the service. Right. And, yeah, absolutely. So, um, as I'm sure anybody that's done a wastewater based epidemiology project will tell you. Uh, these are these are very system specific. So to this point, anyway, I don't think there's been a good uh, I don't think there's been good data to show that you can kind of take this model and apply it to another system, just because of the way the wastewater dynamics work. Uh, but for our our system, now we have a good understanding. Uh, we have a good system in place. We have good sampling in place, um, and we have those partnerships and pathways built so that you know whatever the next thing coming down the road is, right? Or um, if you want to do things like uh, STI screening and things like that, like just of the entire community, um, you could pro you could get those get at a lot of those uh, through the wastewater. So yeah, it's a it we used we leveraged the COVID nineteen pandemic um, because it's a it was a clear and present threat and it was it was something that uh, was gaining a lot of attention. And uh, but that's not that's definitely not the only application for this. And we we're hopeful that this project is going to build uh, kind of a foundation for years to come to be able to. Uh, monitor the community health and, and improve public health and, and public outreach uh, on the installation. 
Yeah. So yeah, never waste a good crisis, right? Um, exactly. Exactly. Uh, for, for, you know, there, I'm sure there are lots of people who are smart enough to know why wastewater epidemiology is uh, specific to each system. But for those of us like me who aren't smart enough to know that, can you can you explain the background? Yeah. So there's uh, depending on uh, concentrations of of the wastewater at different points, uh, depending on you know how the uh, how the wastewater de- the the signal that you're looking for in the wastewater degrades. So that's viral. In this case, the viral load of you know the, the pieces of COVID-19 that you're looking for, uh, those can degrade, uh, or those can the dynamics of those can change from place to place. So you wouldn't want to take. Uh, you want to make sure you have a consistent sampling site, and look at trends on that sampling site over time. Uh, so you wouldn't. So those even those models uh, that you'd build from that wouldn't necessarily be applicable uh, to trends that you would see uh, at, in a new system, right? So that because you're not getting repeated sampling in those same sampling sites from that same system. Uh, because things like uh, you have to correct for flow specifically, uh, you can't just use well, it's, it's better not to just use um, COVID-19 concentration or viral concentration by itself. Because uh, if you do that, you might be capturing an increase in COVID-19, right? Or you might just be capturing the fact that, you know, you've had new people come into the new people come into that area, right? So if there's a, a high transiency rate in the population, uh, you know, let's say if you were sampling in a, a shopping center, for instance, right? Um, on the weekends, that shopping center might get an influx of people. You're going to see a spike in COVID concentration, right? And viral concentration. Um, but that may not be because the overall positivity rate in your community is going up. It may just be because you've got 10,000 new people going to the bathroom in that place. Mm-hmm. So um, that same kind of logic applies when you're talking about uh applying those models to uh, different areas, like different geographic areas and different systems uh, within the, you know, kind of in different wastewater uh, operations. Yeah. Does, uh, does uh, the location of the sampling site matter? I mean, I, I know you said it's got to be consistent from place to place, but do you, if, if you want to, I mean, you talked earlier about barracks level versus institution level, and I assume you had multiple sampling sites to. Right help you refine the data like that. Can you talk a little about where you locate the sampling sites? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, just generally, uh, the kind of the variability of your data uh, increases the closer you are to the source, right? So in the, in the, in the, in the system. So um, as you get closer and closer to your wastewater plant, the data is going to become kind of smoother, so you're going to get less high spikes and less low uh, valleys uh, as you move, as you increase your, uh, as you go closer to your wastewater plant, because uh, the it's going to you're going to get more of a total picture uh, from your whole community with the increasing uh, increasing flow volumes. So if you're close to like let's say you're sampling, you know, let's break it all the way down. Say you're sampling outside of one house, right? People aren't flushing the toilet all the time. People aren't just constantly pooping, right? That would be terrible. Uh, you'd need to go to the doctor, right? Uh, not because you had COVID-19, because you had something else going on. Uh, so because people aren't just constantly flushing the toilet, you're not going to get a steady stream of data of, of uh, wastewater coming past that, that sensor, right? So you move back from the individual house, you go down the street. Well, that variability, that, that flow uh, changes, right? But not a lot. 
right? You still get, um, at the end of the street, you're still going to have uh, significant variability in concentration. So you want to move. We did where, well, uh, it's possible to do um, neighborhood level, like neighborhood scale sampling, right? You can do individual building scale sampling, but it's possible also to do neighborhood scale sampling. And a lot of places have focused on even uh, wastewater treatment plant sampling. So they're only taking one sample that's at their wastewater treatment plant. So that's also another way you can do it to, to minimize those kind of uh, variations. Yeah. And and I guess if you're just taking the sample at the wastewater treatment plant, that that will tell you kind of, the, uh, to use the term you used earlier, the institution level, right? If right. The, yeah. So the, that would give you, right. So bigger kind of a, that would give, that's really good data for community level um, trends depending on what your sewer shed looks like. Yeah. Okay. The, 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 that's fascinating stuff. Now, if we can, um, we've, we've talked about wastewater epidemiology quite a bit. What other, uh, when we talk about kind of the public health on a military base, uh, you know, are there other elements to, for, you know, st- let's, let's talk sustainability com- comes to mind in terms of uh, if, if we need to make sure that our, our service members are, you know, have adequate supplies of water, then sustainability obviously comes to mind. Can you talk a little about uh, the issues that, that surround sustainability in, in terms of uh, the water supplies at a military installation? Yeah, so um, sustainability is something that the military has been focused on heavily, uh, you know, in, in more recent years, you know, the last probably 10, 20 years. Um, because they understand that the ability to maintain their force is dependent on uh, dependent on being good stewards of the resources that they're using. Uh, so water is one of those things, right? And it's important to uh, to kind of mon- ma- monitor and refine the sustainable uh, operations for water specifically, uh, because what you want to make sure is that you have, you know, if you're sending troops out into the field, uh, that they're that that water's being produced effectively and it's being uh, it's being used effectively as well. So making sure that those uh, those systems can be uh, uh, as sustainable as possible. Now, specifically from a you know sustainability uh, as a whole, from a public health side as well, uh, and, and from a kind of military healthcare side, uh, is it, something that we're very focused on. Also, can you expand on that last point? Okay, so sustainability. Uh, and water quality from the healthcare perspective are especially important uh, because when you're obviously when you're providing healthcare to a population, you want to make sure that that water is, uh, you know, has a very basic, you know, just uh, high quality, right. That, that the normal quality is provided. Uh, but then when you talk about, you know, pharmaceuticals and surgical applications, things like that, um, it's really important for those uh, medical operations to have uh, very high quality water that's produced in a sustainable manner. Uh, so that's another thing that from a, a public health water perspective uh, that someone in my position would have would have ensured. Right. Go go back and make sure that we're doing sampling within the healthcare facilities uh, to make sure that when you're when you're mixing pharmaceuticals, that you're using water that's not bacterially contaminated, uh, that you're using uh, that the pH balance is right, that there's no uh, Legionella uh, present in the you know, shower heads and things like that. So it's. Uh, very specific concerns, uh, but they all. But you also need to maintain that understanding that uh, you can't just be, you know, that if there's an issue, uh, the goal is to kind of address the issue from a uh, kind of a source perspective, 
as opposed to just you know saying, all right, well, let's just flush a whole bunch of water and that'll clear the problem up, right? So that, that's where that sustainability kind of plays into it. Got it. So we've talked a lot about um, the, the military installations and I, I know I want to, and you kind of have hidden that to what you're doing now, but before I get to that point, um, I think everyone's going to be very curious about, you know, the, the, the army isn't always at, at its base, right? So there are times when it's going to be in the field and going to be mobile. So h- how do you address these issues with, you know, clean water uh, when, when the army is not in base? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, that's a really good question. And that is definitely uh, to be, again, to be totally honest, when I first took this job, that's what I thought we'd be doing a lot of um, was making sure that those field-based units and that, you know, kind of forward deployed people were, uh, were safe and taken care of. Um, and, and there are uh, multiple different uh, factors and considerations that come into play when you're talking about, you know, uh, kind of troops in general uh, moving away from an installation and need to be more self-sufficient. Uh, and the Army has a variety, a, a large variety of, of ways, obviously, to, to make sure that their, um, their soldiers are provided clean, clean, safe drinking water. Because the last thing you want as a commander or a leader is to have your people stranded, right, with no, no clean drinking water. Uh, it's a, a very easy way uh, to be unsuccessful is to, you know, not have enough drinking water or to have very low quality drinking water. Um, and so there are those, those technologies that go from, you know, large technologies that roll off on trucks to small technologies, you know, just like backpack, right. That you've got like a small, uh, canister filter kind of thing. So, uh, the army, you know, just like any other group of people that want to be out in the wilderness for a long time, have a variety of, of options for, for how they can, they can take care of the drinking water needs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as you were, as you were talking, I, uh, and, and you're mentioning troops out in the field, uh, just a vision came to me, uh, of when I was a kid, have you ever seen the movie Sahara? I think it was about, uh, the North African campaign. And there's, uh, there's no. a, there's a, there's a scene in there where the, you know, the Americans and the Germans are facing off in, in North Africa and they're, they're both, they're relatively small units and there's, there's a standoff and then they're all the, the water supply is, short so they're they're parched and then i can't remember what it was somehow some water became available and they they didn't fight they just went up and were all drinking out of the same thing even though they were mortal enemies right right across from each other they were more concerned with drinking the water than than not so um and uh, hopefully my memory is right 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 on that that it was the movie sahara but in in any event yeah that's um some sort of like christmas christmas day accords over some water yeah that's right yeah like that so something like that is exactly right. So yeah. what, so I mentioned uh, that I wanted to get into what you're doing now. And so what are you doing now? Uh, so now I've moved on to, uh, uh, to work with a contractor. I was with, I was one of those, you know, people that was employed directly by the, the army as a civilian. Um, but now I work for a contractor uh, called the concurrent concurrent technologies corporation. Uh, we're a, a large uh, DOD prime contractor with multiple teams working across multiple technical por- portfolios. Uh, my team specifically is focused on uh, energy, energy resilience and sustainability issues, uh, specifically related to infrastructure and the warfighter needs. Now, that's a really fancy way of saying uh, that I, like the people that I work with care a lot about making sure that the energy um, that's provided to the DOD and the Defense Department and the, uh, the way that it's used is resilient so that it can be used you know, in perpetuity. Uh, 
and it's sustainable so that we're not you know poisoning the ground that we're standing on um or the air that we're breathing uh so the my specific project that i'm working on now is working on uh improving sustainability for the sustainability mission for military healthcare organizations uh so that's right now focused mainly on the army but uh likely will will expand in the future well it's very clear from our conversation today that that uh you're you're very concerned with military healthcare and so i i applaud you for that um you know, you know cameron i've i've really enjoyed our conversation today i've learned a lot um for certain, uh, if you had a leave behind message, what would it be? Uh, it would probably be, you know, that if you are passionate about water and sustainability, um, that there, that the diversity of opportunities to work in that space are pretty endless right now, right? Sustainability's uh, seeing a resurgence, uh, you know, and just kind of people are understanding better that we're working with limited time and resources. And so optimizing those resources is going to be essential and making sure that those, uh, that those resources, whether it's water or energy or uh, space, that all of those things are going to be there uh, for the human race moving forward. Um, and so if you're interested in doing that, you know, don't be afraid to look to the military. Don't be afraid to look uh, to the DOD or to the, uh, to the government. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things outside the USGS that are focused on water quality. Uh, so, you know, we definitely want to, uh, I would definitely encourage people to, uh, if they're interested in, in enlisting in the army, there are uh, jobs within that, within the army that actually are just uh, water treatment technologists. So the people that make sure that the soldiers have water to drink when they're in the field, uh, that's a full, that's a, a job in the army uh, that they'll train you to do. So if you're interested in it and you're, you're looking to kind of serve your country and serve a larger purpose and be a part of something bigger than yourself, uh, then I'd say absolutely, you know, look towards the military to see, um, to see where you can kind of, how, how you can expand that path. Excellent. Well, that's a, that's a great leave behind message. And thank you so much. Now, uh, for those who want to find out more about you and more about your work, where can they go to get that information? Uh, so, uh, ctc.com has, is a great resource. That's what I'm currently doing. Like I said, um, they've got a, a great kind of uh, dashboard of, of their whole operation. Um, and our sustainability work is, is there. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn and, uh, I'm on Twitter as the water chief, like <laughs> at the water chief. Uh, so that was, uh, that, it started out as a joke between my, uh, the soldiers that I worked with and I, that you know, I'm the chief, <laughs> chief of water. Uh, so that's, that's my Twitter handle. Oh, uh, awesome. but yeah, yeah. Terrific. Well, the easiest place. Yeah. Well, terrific. Well, again, Cameron, thank you so much for taking some time out to speak with us today on this very important topic. And uh, we really appreciate you, uh, you, you know, dedicating your uh, career to keeping our soldiers safe. So thank you so much. I appreciate it, Dave. Thanks. All right. We'll talk to you soon, Cameron. Thanks so much. Bye now. All right. Thanks. Bye. Fantastic interview by Cameron. I really appreciate him shining a light on some of the water issues uh, that the military faces on its installations. Uh, and just how, again, how apropos that this is coming out right before Veterans Day. So uh, thank you very much, Cameron. Really enjoyed speaking with you and good luck in uh, in the working for the military contractor. Well, I would love to know what you thought about the interview. Please check out the show notes for this page. Uh, just Google the Water Values Podcast and click the first thing that comes up. It'll get you to the uh, uh, the, the Bluefield Research's landing page for the Water Values Podcast. Again, Bluefield Research and 
the Water Values LLC are non-affiliated interests. We just have a joint marketing type of arrangement. And we, you know, Bluefield Research is kind enough to give the Water Values a home on the web. So thank you very much, guys. Um, you can also tweet about the podcast using the hashtag Water Values and tweet at me using my handle at DTM1993. You can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com and you can sign up for the newsletter uh, at that if you just Google the Water Values podcast and click the first link that comes up, there'll be a little field. We only send out 22 uh, uh, newsletters per year. So that's, you know, essentially two a month with uh, taking July off. So thank you again for tuning in. And again, a huge thank you to our sponsors of the Water Values podcast for the 2021 season. Those sponsors include Xylem, Black & Veatch, the American Waterworks Association, Can Do, Woodard & Curran, and Intera. And this show would not be possible without those great companies and industry leaders providing their support. So in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.